Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Womer. I am the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are excited that you have worshipped with us this morning. We are entering into a new series um, today. We've just come out of a long series about dreams and discovering our story, and it was a great time. And we're going to jump into a series that I am particularly excited about because it involves the, my favorite thing in all of the world, and that is studying Scripture, studying the Word. So the series that we are jumping into is simply called The Word. And so we're going to talk about a whole lot of different aspects of that. But I wanted to introduce this series with a spoken word poetry um, by an amazing young woman that God has done some dramatic and fantastic things in her life. And she shares her thoughts creatively and poetically about God's word. So if you'll take a moment, the lights will black out. Turn your attention to the screen and check out this quick video. This morning, I really, really, really did not want to read my Bible. The thought of sitting up in my bed, fingers filled with the marrow of laziness, ESV silent in its distance but loud in its convicting invisible sirens, the disrupting music of my consistent encouragements that I stack in the back of my disciples' ears such as, you have to read your Bible. The word is where you meet Jesus. How do you expect to know God if you don't read about him? Nag me to action. So. I settled for the conveniently placed Bible application on my phone. Thank you, Apple, for your help. I proceed to read a psalm or two until I feel I've met my morning spiritual quota for the day, and then my heart proceeded to grab my soul by the hands and gently place a heavy Nagasaki-like whisper inside of its palms. You are far too easily satisfied, I thought. And I remembered the big picture that the Bible is where I get to know God, King, Savior, Lord, friend, Jesus, meets me in this book, this book that I often treasure in theory. So reading the Bible really does matter. Where else can I go to audibly see the voice of God, learn how to climb inside of his shadow and follow it straight into his throne? My soul is safe there. So. I'm done with the excuses. The next time laziness or whatever attempts to steal me from the Bible, I'm just gonna punch it in its face. I love her thoughts on the word. The word of God is perhaps, I think, well, to me, let me just say this. Personally, it is my favorite book ever penned. Um, it's the one book that I have read more than any other book in my life. It is the one book that when I have read it, is done nothing but bring life to me. I love how she says that my soul is safe in there. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mystique when it's surrounding the Word of God, and there's a lot of interpretation, and there's a lot of application, and there's so many different things that take place in the Word of God, and, and, and especially when you then involve humanity with God's word, it becomes a little bit, God's word in itself is perfect. We'll get to that in a moment. But when you involve humanity, therein lies the flaw. Our interpretation of things 
versus God's intention of how he, what he wrote. And so no one has a corner on everything biblically related. No one has all the information as to what every single chapter and every single verse is interpreted as. But it is the one place that even though we, did, we could disagree theologically, it will bring nothing but life to you. I had a friend that when I was a youth pastor, he was caught in a really, really bad way. And, um, and, just, and today we're going to talk about the power of God's word, and we're going to talk about how it has the power to cleanse. And so about my friend, and when, when we sat down for, count, for counsel, he was struggling. He had just had his fourth DUI, and his license was taken away. He was far, far, far from Jesus. His marriage was collapsing, and, and there was just this 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 weight upon him and what was taking place in his life was destroying him. And then we sat down and we started talking and he said, what do I do? And I simply said, open up the Bible and just start to read it. And he said, well, where do I start to read it? I said, start with the book of John. He said, well, why should I start there? I said, well, for me personally, the book of John is all about the love that Jesus has for us. And so it's a great thing to understand God's love for you. So therefore, start in that spot. And so he did, and he read, and he was hungry for change. And so he read, and he came back, and just as typical as a many of us, he would read and come back and say, okay, I understand about four words of what I just read. I said, okay, really, very good. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but here's what I want you to do this week. He said, what? I said, go back and read it again. And he kind of looked at me and was like, listen, you have made a wreck of your life. Trust me in the fact that I'm trying to help you undo some of the mess that you've, you've made. And he said, okay. And he went back and he read it again. And he comes back and he says, I think I understand 12 words. And, and, and we did this a few times. And he ended up reading the book of John in its entirety seven different times. And then I said to him, I said, you know what? And we, we, there was some other counsel going on and thought process and things like that. But as it was the, related to the Word of God, I said, tell me something about the book of John. And let me tell you what took place next was that he literally started out of his mouth to speak almost the Word, the word of God in its entirety in the book of John. And this, he says, this is what I got. And I mean, and it was just, I'm watching in awe like, wow, this is beautiful. Here is a guy who understood four words of what he was reading, who could now speak it with such power and conviction about himself that it changed his life. It's the only thing that you can read over and over and over and over and over, and it will continue and continue and continue to give you life. It's the only thing that does it. It is the living word, not just a penned word. It is a living word. Matter of fact, I don't care how much you grow in your knowledge of the, of the word of God. I have read this thing in, inside and out. I have read through the Bible more times than I can count. And that's not even to pat myself on the shoulder except to say every single time I open it, I find something fresh. I find something new. And it's not necessarily that it's not something I hadn't read, but it's something that hits me in a way that I had not felt before or I had not seen before. It's that, it's that aha moment. I've had a few of those in my time in Scripture. 
I've had several of them where, you know, they say it's like the light bulb went off. I have had a few where it seems like every light bulb in the world went off. That's the power of God's word. It's power and it's filled with power and it's filled with strength and it's filled with encouragement. And the question I have to ask you that I will ask you in and day, week in and week out, as long as we're in this series, is how deeply do you immerse yourself in God's word every day? I'm not asking you how deeply you immerse yourself in God's word weekly or monthly or every other day, but how much do you immerse yourself in God's word? How deeply do you get every day? Because that's the one of the most critical things to understanding scripture and to really, really gleaning its power is by being immersed in it every day. And do you truly believe that spending quality time in God's word is what will make you strong and fill you with joy and ultimately have love just pouring out of you? Do you actually believe that? Because here's the reality. If you don't believe that, then it makes no difference how much time you spend in it. So you have to believe that spending this time in God's word is going to be what makes you strong and fills you with joy and and allows love just to come in you and radiate from you. Matter of fact, a good barometer of how connected you are to God's word is how much you're experiencing all of it. It's uh, nobody, I mean, this is, this is the test. This is the litmus test, if you will, the barometer, you know, the barometer in, in, in our, in our, in our weather system, it, it, it measures what? The atmosphere, right? And so the atmosphere of your life and how much you are connected to God's word is really how much are you experiencing what is written? Because if you really spend time reading the Bible and listening to what it says, you should experience new strength. You should experience wisdom. You should experience joy. The love of God should come out of you simply because you have immersed yourself in it daily. And if you do find yourself getting into the Word on a regular basis, then do you allow this Word to penetrate your heart? See, there's a lot more to Scripture than just opening up to a Bible app and reading a plan once a week. I mean, you have to start somewhere, no doubt. But there's a difference in allowing the Word of God to penetrate my heart. Here's here's what I believe. I believe that the people struggle in their walk with God. In, every, in different areas, whether they struggle to live a righteous life, whether they struggle to be generous, they struggle to attend church, they struggle to be loving towards others, they struggle in all of these ways because I believe that they've not allowed the Word of God to penetrate their hearts in those ways. Because when the Word of God penetrates your heart, you can't help but love other people. You can't help but go to church. You can't help but give and be generous. You can't help but to be these things because God's Word has just deeply penetrated your heart. I know that's how it was for my my kids. That's all they know growing up is we go to church. Sunday morning we go to church. But dad, we're on vacation. That's okay. We'll find a church. That's, that's, that's That's been our family. That's been our mantra. It's been what we do since they were little, little kids. So for them, they know life is going to church. They don't even ask to do something that would take them away from church. 
because they know this is what we do because and I'm I'm instilling that value in them so that they not so they know that they go to church but so they know that they know where to go when they feel surrounded by life they know they can go to God they know they can go to the word and they know that they can find God in the church these are things this is and this is by the way that's the word i'm just teaching my children to do what the word says so do you allow it to penetrate your heart God word, God's word does so much for our heart, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. John chapter 15, in verse number 3, Jesus said, You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. He's telling them the message I've given you has already pruned and purified your heart. He's letting us know that through his word, we've been made pure. We've been made unstained. We've been, re- we've been made guiltless. And the word in its original context even eludes to innocent. That's what his word does in our heart. The word that he is referring to in this passage, the word that when he says you've been purified by the message, that word in the New Living Translation says message. King James and some other versions say word, but that word in the original language is the word logos, which is a divinely spoken word. So it's, Jesus is telling you, he says, what I'm saying to you is what the Father has said to me. How do I know that? Because Jesus said in his word, everything's going to go back to the word because that's the most important place to be. Jesus even said in his word, I only do what I saw the Father do and I only say what I heard the Father say. So when he speaks, it's divinely spoken. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us in the second half of verse 25, he's talking about marriages and he's talking about husbands loving their wives. But he says, just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Jesus has washed the church with, the, with, with his word when he's giving this teaching to husbands and wives to teach them about love and how the love that a husband should have for his wife is found in the word and that word should wash that entire relationship and, be, and make it pure. It's a different word though when he says the cleansing of God's word. That word there, the first one in, in John is the word logos. This one is the word rhema, which actually suggests a dynamic and fresh living word so you have the divinely spoken word and then you have this dynamic and fresh living word that's constantly referred to as scripture divine dynamic fresh and living the psalmist says in 19 chapter chapter 19 verses 7 and 8 the instructions of the Lord are perfect. So if you wondered if there was any flaw in God's word, the answer is no. There could be flaw in our interpretation. There could be flaw in the application. But there is no flaw in the written word. His instructions are perfect. They revive the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. So just in the book of Psalm, chapter 19, he's saying, my word is perfect, 
My word is trustworthy. My word is right. My word is clear. These are all things that he is saying that his word is. They are perfect. They are trustworthy. They are right. They are clear. But here's the thing. You have to understand each one of those things has a specific purpose. The perfection of God's word is what revives the soul. The trustworthiness of God's word is what makes us wise and brings wisdom from the simple. It's the rightness of God's word that brings joy to the heart. And the commands being clear gives us insight for living. You can't possibly have a clear insight for living your life if you don't have a clear word from God. And so if there's any confusion at all about the validity or the power of God's word, the psalmist clears this up just in this one passage. The description of what's in store is very interesting because if you look in that same Psalm 19 but skip down to verse number 11, the Bible says they are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. So the word of God is both a warning to us to walk out our lives, but it's also a great reward for those who obey the word. It's interesting because that word reward is actually in its original text in Hebrew is not found in the psalm. It's not. That specific word is not found. It's added by our English translations to give the overall message of that more impact and also not just more impact but a greater understanding because in the Hebrew language especially there's a lot of words used that don't translate to the English language. Matter of fact, they use more imagery for their word than they actually do words. And so there's this image. And so the image that is associated with Psalm 19 is this image of an overflowing wine press is the image that's used to explain the and so basically the real word in this if you looked it up in its original language it actually is the word is closer to related to consequence for action how many know that when there's action there's consequence sometimes there's when there's bad action there's bad consequence right you break the law you go to jail doesn't mean you can't be reformed, doesn't mean you can't be saved, doesn't mean you can't, God can't turn your life around, just means he's got to do it in the prison. It's okay because he's done it in many prisons all through scripture. But on the, on the opposite side, equivalent is when there is good action, there is then good consequence. We just don't use the same word. Hebrew doesn't differentiate between the two. And so the image in this one is more than enough is the image. So when we are obedient to God's word, when we get into this word, when we allow it to penetrate our heart, and it then subsequently re it becomes our actions, there is such a reward that it's more than enough for you, for your, for your neighbor. I mean, you literally, it's the kind of overflow that when it flows, I mean, it just gets down and it gets all over your feet and it just builds. That's the image of this, of this passage of scripture in the Hebrew language. But on the flip side, there's more than enough consequence for the one who doesn't obey either as well. This is the power 
of God's word. What we need is we need God's word to see the truth in us and then cleanse our hearts. Because here's the reality. There is only one in all of the earth who actually sees the reality and the truth that is within us, and that is God. Because we always put our best face on for everyone else. Unless you're married, you really don't care much about your face anymore, and you're just like putting it out there. I see, I see all the sides of my wife. She sees all the sides of me. But when you're in public, or you might be courting another man or another woman, the last thing you do is show them all of you. Like, I, I want you to see the best of me. But God is the one who knows all of you. And so his desire, through his word, is to cleanse all of you. And so we're gonna, there's a couple of things, there's three things I'm going to share with you this morning that we need to see the truth of God's word cleanse in our hearts. And the very first one, it's in your notes as well, is that the word cleanses our hearts from pride. The word cleanses our heart from pride. We're going to be in the same Psalm 19 for just a few moments, and then we're going to shift the rest of our message to John chapter 15. But the Bible says in Psalm chapter 19, verse number 12 through 14, it says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? This is what the psalmist is speaking to the Lord. Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sin. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. Verse 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's interesting a few things he says inside of this passage. And he says, how can I know the sins lurking in my heart? How can I know that there is sin that is in my heart except that, God, you reveal it to me? And he said, cleanse me from these hidden sins. And to suggest that we don't have hidden sin would almost surely suggest that you must think that you are perfect. I have sin that I know about. I have sin that I don't know about. There is hidden sin in me. Then he says, keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. He had an understanding that his sin would lead to control. And that the sin inside of me will control me. It will ultimately be what causes me to stumble, to fall, and to ultimately fail. Because he says, if I don't let them control me, if you keep me from my deliberate, deliberate sin, then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. I love that. I, I'm all about the word of God. I'm all about keeping it simple because it's, it, we make it much more difficult than it actually is. There is an if and then all through the Bible. If you do this, then you will have this. Real simple. I tell my kids, if you clean your room... Then you can go outside. If you clean your room, then you can have some money. If you just, then you can. There's that relationship happens in our homes. It happens in, or with God, and it happens through Scripture. If, if I can stay away from my deliberate sin and not allow them to control me, then I will be free. 
This is the power of God's word to cleanse our heart from our pride. Because it's our pride that leads us to thinking we don't have this sin in our heart. Then he says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Notice he separated the two. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. He separated the two. Words of my mouth, meditation of my heart. So in separating them, he realized they're two different things. But here's the thing. What is in your heart will ultimately be what comes out of your mouth. Because the Bible says, again, the scripture, the word says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you find yourself in church on a Sunday morning uttering blessed and highly favored when someone asks how you are, but on Monday your words are nothing but condemning to your children when they won't wake up in the morning to go to school, remember that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'm not saying that you don't get frustrated. I'm not saying when you've gone to the bedroom for the fifth time and the child will not get up that they don't need some kind of discipline because they do. Because again, that's scripture as well. But how about just in your driving? And I, I constantly go back to this personally. But how about in your driving to work and someone cuts you off? And what is your response? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And it's, I, I hate to relegate it to something so simple as driving, but it's so true. It's so true. If I am really quickly getting angry with the person in front of me and I'm telling them that they're all kinds of things, which I have done, there's something missing in my heart. This is just reality. So he said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. The psalmist realized that with sin in my heart, my words can't please you. They are just very simply that. They are just words. Words in the air. Words that mean nothing. Anybody ever heard anything from someone before that the word just literally meant nothing because there was no action backed up behind it? That's what, that's what the psalmist is saying. May the words of my mouth and my meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. The two have got to get connected and the two have got to be submitted to Christ. Because without that, there is no pleasing God. The reading the Bible gives us this humility and helps us to tell ourselves the truth about what's really in our heart. I have no problem telling you that when in those moments when I decide that that person driving in front of me is an absolute moron and I go and tell them that, I have no problem telling you that there's something broken in my heart in that moment because there's something about the Word of God that brings this humility to our lives that lets us know, hey, you're not perfect. You, you got some sin in your heart. There's some stuff I need to cleanse. And if we're not deeply in the word, then we're going to be blinded by what's really in our heart. So I'm going to say that again because that's good. That's good preaching right there. If you're not deeply in the word, you're going to be blinded by what's actually in your heart. And this goes beyond the five-minute devotional. This goes beyond the Bible app that you can open up and, and say, boom, and like, like she said in her video, the couple of psalms that satisfied me for my Bible reading. I would echo, if that's what satisfies you, then you are satisfied way, way too easily. 
Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23 tells us that pride ends in humiliation. Pride ends in humiliation. Need more evidence of that? Just flip to the New Testament. Jesus said, and the, the apostles echoed, that the sin that is in your heart would be made known in the lights of that is heaven. How many of y'all would, how many of us, and I say y'all because I'm talking to y'all, but how many of us would love for our sin that you are resting in right now? I'm not talking about your past sin that's been covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm talking about that hidden stuff that some of we know and some we don't know. Stuff that's hidden from us, but stuff we hide from others. How would we like for that to just literally be wham up on that screen? That's a surefire way to empty the church. Let me just throw your sin up on the screen. That's what the word says, though. Made known in the lights of heaven. The screen, at least only you are seeing it. The lights of heaven, anybody who looks up is seeing it. Because... Pride ends in humiliation, but he goes on in that same passage to say, humility brings honor. Humility brings honor. Let me tell you, I have had to go on a journey in my life, and I still have some ways to go, but I have had to go on a journey in my life to eliminate or stuff or press or destroy the pride that is in my life. I am if there was such a thing as a personality type that's predisposed to pride, it's mine. You give my dominant style personality, my outgoing style personality, my leader type personality, and then put the fact that there's a few gifts that I'm good at on top of that, whew, pride, pride. I have literally, let me tell you how bad it gets, right? I have literally, in moments, I've been submitted, I have submitted my pride to God more times than I can count, more than anything else I think I've ever submitted to him in my life. But I have had moments, and I remember one of them clearly. I came to this small little podunk town called Mason City, Illinois, which turned out to be the best podunk town in the world. But I come to this small little town, and we have this small church compared to what I'm used to as far as church is concerned. And we build this youth ministry that is almost as big, if not some Sundays, bigger than the church. And I remember one Sunday, I'm standing on the stage, and we were in the main auditorium, and there's 100-plus kids just worshiping the Lord at the altar. And I was like, look what I did. Yeah. But while, while you walk through this journey and you allow God to work on that pride, that's ultimately what will bring honor to your name. That's ultimately what will bring honor to God. I can actually stand before people today, still have some issues, no doubt. There's no doubt about that. I still have some issues. But I can stand before you with a good name in my community. Most of my community doesn't think I'm this prideful, arrogant person. Some do. Those are the ones that I've obviously shown it to. But there's this, this honor that takes place when humility comes along. Pride ends in humiliation. It also tells us that pride is what goes before the fall. Whenever I've failed in my life, it's usually associated with the pride that I'm walking in in that moment. Because here's, let me tell you here, by deeply, get this now, this is good. 
by deeply getting yourself into this word, what you are admitting is that you cannot live on your own, make all your own decisions, all your own choices, and live as a, an individual person. You can't do it. And when you admit that, now you are actually suppressing the pride that is in your life that makes you think, oh yeah, I got a handle on this. When I fail to be here, I fail in my life. Every single time. If ever there is a lack of patience, if ever there is a frustration, there's anger, there's bitterness, if I lash out at my children, if, I, if there's ever some of these things where, I, and not just where I, where I discipline because I'm frustrated because I told you to do something 17 times and you haven't done it, I'm talking like I've asked you to do something once and then I come on the backside and just rip you apart. There's a pretty decent chance that it's associated with my lack of time in God's word. My pastor told me once, he said, he said, Mike, he says, you have to protect the call of God with everything that you have in your life. You have to be in the word every single day of your life. And he said, if you decide and make the decision to be out of God's word for any length of time, I guarantee your next step will be falling. He just flat out told me, this is what's going to happen. And he was right. Because that's what happens. We have this pride in us. And then here's what usually happens for most people. That pride results in a public, a very public fall. You've heard it before, pastors of churches that have, that have lost their, their, their jobs and have had to resign from their churches because of moral failures and, and things that have led them astray. And they'll all tell you that they stopped being in love with God's word. Pride brings us to a low place, and the Word of God cleanses our heart from pride. The second thing the Word does for the sake of our message today is the Word prunes our heart so we can be fruitful. So we go through this process of cleansing that He just makes our heart new. It's like becoming a believer, following after Christ is like getting a heart transplant. The old is gone, the new is here. And so then we begin this journey. You can call it sanctification. You can call it journey. You can call it pruning. You can call it whatever you want. But it is one where God prunes us so that we can, so prunes our hearts so we can be more fruitful. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, the Bible says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. There's job number one, to cut off the branches that don't produce fruit. Look at job number two. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. His goal for you in life is to produce a lot of fruit. Here's why that's important. Here's, here's the thing that you, we, don't, we don't comprehend in today's world, in today's society. In this time, with this parable, with this teaching, it was understood because if you had property that had fruit trees or had fruit bushes or wherever your fruit was growing, if you had property that had fruit, you, the, the, the wealth of your property was judged by the fruitfulness of your trees. So when you would look at a person's tree and it would be just two or three little apples, let's use apple trees for now, hanging from that tree, 
you would look at that person's property and make assumptions about its value. You would make assumptions about the value of the soil. You'd make assumptions about the value of the work behind the tree because if you did not prune it properly, then there's nothing growing. So their value was directly connected to the, how great the fruit was in their tree. So when he used this teaching, see, we don't get that today because we don't grow apple trees in our backyards. But when he went in this day, when he would when he would say that he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. His goal is that your branches produce as much fruit as possible. Let's make it about your life. He wants your life to be as successful as possible. He wants you to be successful in love. He wants you to be successful in grace, in mercy. He wants you to be successful in generosity because he wants to bring all of that back to you. But we have to allow him to prune these branches. He says in verse 3, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Then he says, here's the key. This is all, I mean, when you preach like that, it's like, come on, Lord, prune me, prune me. Because you want the, you want the, the victory and the celebration and the, and the success of the pruning. But he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. You have to rest with the Lord. You have to reside where he lives. And just in case you didn't know the theme of this message, this is where he lives, church. He lives in this word. And if you do not reside in this word, then you will not bear fruit the way God wants you to. He goes on to say in verse 5, Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, what does that mean, you can do nothing? Does that mean I can literally be, have no success and accomplish nothing? No, 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 no. Because you can have great success and accomplish much without Christ. You really can by this worldly standard. What he's saying is apart from me, you can produce nothing of any real eternal value. Nothing. Nothing will have value. Nothing will have eternal consequence. Nothing will mean something for anyone else. And that's actually the goal of your life. You know our lives are meant to be put, lived in a way that they're poured out for others? Yeah, that's the Bible, just so you know. To live in a way that you are poured out for others. It's not about stacking dimes for yourself. It's not about, like, people, it's about stacking paper. It's about, it's about drip. It's about this and it's about that. It's all, it's not, that's not what life is about. Y'all laughing because I used a word that you didn't think I knew. I got teenagers. I know. I even know what that word means. That's what's crazy. I don't just say it. I actually know what it means. But that's not what life is. We're supposed to live a life poured out. But what are you pouring out if there's nothing in? It's like walking up to a cup and it's like, oh, man, there's a cup there. I'm so thirsty. And you pick it up and you pour it out. It's like nothing in there. There's no benefit for me because there's nobody put anything in the cup. And if you don't put anything in your cup, how are you going to offer it to anyone else? That's what we're supposed to do as believers. This isn't about doing well for you. This isn't about building your kingdom. It's not about building your wealth. It's not about building your home, your family, your business. 
It's about building his kingdom, his wealth, his family, his business. Amazingly enough, when we do that, what he gives to us far exceeds anything we've ever given to him. So do you let God prune your heart? He's in the business of cutting and pruning, and his desire is that you allow him to do this work in your life so that you bear fruit. And it's not easy. If a tree could speak, how do you think you would feel about having branches cut off? Just like, yeah, this one's no good. It's painful. But here's the thing. If you don't let God do that work in you, you'll never, ever be able to teach someone else to let God do that work in them. Then all your words will be empty because you yourself are not letting God's word do what it needs to do in you. In verse 14 of John chapter 15, just a few verses down, he says, Remember, you remember what I said? You can learn a lot from what the Word says by what it actually says, but you can learn something about what it doesn't say as well. And Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. What does that mean we are if we don't? If we are his friends when we do what he commands, what does that mean we are if we don't do what he commands? I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to be is an enemy of Christ. That's like... There's enough, there's enough table turning in Scripture for me not want to make him mad, to not be his enemy. Last thing I want to share with you is this. Worship team, you can come and get set if you would, please. So the word cleanses our hearts from our pride. The word prunes our heart so that we can be fruitful. And the third thing that I'm going to share today about this word is that the word nourishes our heart with God's love. See, I had, I, had to, I had to bring it to that space because cleansing our heart from pride and pruning our, our, our hearts to become fruitful are challenges and they're difficult and they're painful and they hurt. And so it's, in, it's very important to understand that the same word that cleanses, the same word that prunes is the same word that nourishes with God's love. The same chapter of scripture, John chapter 15, verse number 9 and 10, he says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. He simply said, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. If you've ever asked the question, how do I remain in the love of Christ? Obey his word. How do you obey his word? You have to first let it penetrate your heart. It will not penetrate your heart if you're not reading it. I don't, I'll tell you what, I've been doing this a while. And I'm just beyond the excuses. I don't care how busy your life is. I don't care how stressful it is. I don't care what you got going on. You are never, ever too busy for God's word. And if you think that you are, then let me help you out for five minutes. That's all. Five minutes. I want you to come and live my life for five minutes. I don't even suggest that my life is that crazy. 
but I know it's crazier than most because I work two jobs. I have three teenagers. And when I'm not working the two jobs, I'm refereeing basketball or umpiring baseball. And when I'm not doing those, I'm sitting with people and having cups of coffee and helping them walk through grief. I'm sitting and counseling. I'm mentoring. I'm trying to, I'm praying and seeking the Lord and reading scripture and trying to hear from God as far as what he wants for me as a man, what he wants for my family, what he wants for this church. Yeah, I do this. This is every single day. And if every single day I can find my way in God's word, so can you. Because let me tell you, there's nothing at all special about me. Matter of fact, I would suggest gifted-wise, some of y'all can do the job that I'm doing better than I am. But there is this thing. There is this thing that happens when you allow this word to penetrate your heart. Here's what happens. All of your priorities begin to come in line with his priorities. That's the only reason I can do it, because I've allowed my priorities to come in line with his priorities. My priority is God's word. My priority is my family. My priority is what he wants me to do and how he wants me to do it. My priority is not sleep. My priority is not the television. My priority is not, the, is not my social media, although I'm probably on it too much. But when they become our priorities, it takes away from God's word. And if we're not in God's word, it can never penetrate our hearts. And if it never penetrates our heart, it will never cause us to become less prideful. It will never prune us and it will never nourish us with love. This is the process. I didn't make it up. I just am smart enough to follow it. It's real easy to follow up, follow what someone else has already put in place. And Jesus put it in place. Our heart and our faith are nourished. Is your heart nourished or is your heart malnourished? Is your faith nourished or is it malnourished? Is it healthy? Do you keep God's commands because you're connected to God's love? Opening up the word every day allows God to have this continuous nourishing of our hearts. When it's closed on any given day, our, our, what we're saying by not opening it is, God, my heart is good today. I don't need you. Don't need your word. Because my heart is good today. I'm going to close with this passage of scripture. Our Wednesday morning Bible study on, at, at, at the Hungry Moose is studying the book of James. And James is a challenging book. And we're getting ready to start chapter 2 this Wednesday. But in James chapter 1, verse 25, the Bible says, But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I'm going to ask a rhetorical question, but I'm also going to ask you to answer a rhetorical question. Is there anyone in here that wants God to bless what they do? Raise your hand if you want God to bless what you do. Raise your hand if you want God to bless what you do. We want the Lord to bless what we do. The way to get God to bless what we do is by walking in His Word and doing what it says and not forgetting what, it, what you've heard.
So if you really want God to bless what you do, then let me tell you what your week might look like this week. You might actually hear my voice in your ear saying, get your butt in the Bible. Open it up and read it. And if you want to know where to start, open the book to the book of John and read about Christ's love for you. That's a great place to start.